This is the evening edition of the Daily Podcast Practice Show for Monday, February the 14th of 2022. I'm your host, Rich Grimshaw, putting the P in podcasting through relentless daily practice, kicking it into high gear on my road to making podcasting history. It's good to be here practicing my podcasting skills. And thanks to you for being here with me. I'm on a journey to complete 365 consecutive daily podcast episodes. I began walking 359 days ago, February 20th of 2021, and I'm going to finish it up this Sunday, February 20th of 2022. You can find each of these individually wrapped, environmentally friendly, ethically sourced, and 100% sustainable podcast episodes at the website dailypodcastpractice.com. For the Lunatalians, we have a waxing gibbous moon tonight heading toward a full moon that will happen in just two days, February the 16th. And in my part of Georgia tonight, that moon is beautiful. It's nearly full. It's a big moon and it's rising up through the bare trees in the woods around the house in this winter sky that we have cloudless sky and we've got some stars shining stars that we can see well as many as you can see with the light pollution that we have but still it's a striking and extraordinary vision so plan your activities accordingly today is of course valentine's day february the 14th and according to an article that i found on thebalance.com by elena Dewar, posted on february 4th of 2022 Valentine's Day is the fifth largest spending event in the United States of America. Fifth comes in behind the winter holidays, Christmas and all that stuff, and Mother's Day. The National Retail Federation, NRF, has estimated that just over half of the adults in the United States of America, uh, 53%, plan to celebrate Valentine's Day in 2022. And I that caught my attention because that's a lot lower than I would have guessed. We're talking about adults now, not just the total population. But I would think that more, more than that would be celebrating. But that's not the case. So I would have lost that bet. And those that are going to celebrate may spend as much as $24 billion. If that estimate holds true, then 2022 is going to be the second highest spending year on record for Valentine's Day since this National Retail Federation did its first spending survey in 2009, 12 years ago, 13 years ago. The most popular gift items this year are going to be candy, greeting cards, and flowers, and then that's followed by an evening out, gift cards, clothing, and jewelry. I want to give my personal congratulations to the marketing engines of our economy for finding an extremely effective way for Americans to spend money on Valentine's Day. And happy Valentine's Day to everyone, (laughs) y'all. On this day, in 1967, soul singer Aretha Franklin, the Queen of Soul, recorded her signature song, Respect. It became the Billboard Song of the Year for 1967. It's not clear who wrote this song, but it is clear that Otis Redding recorded it first, and that was two years earlier in 1965. His recording did not do well commercially. I've listened to it, and it just doesn't do it like Aretha's version does. The tempo is faster, 
the horn sections are totally different. And the two of those things together just make it a very different song. Aretha had been performing the song for years in her live shows, and producer Jerry Wexler had arranged some recording time, and that's when they finally sat down to do this. Respect was recorded in New York City on Valentine's Day, 1967. It had the legendary recording engineer Tom Dowd. If you're not familiar with Tom, there's a whole documentary on him. T-O-M-D-O-W-D. Look that up. It's extraordinary. He, he worked with a lot of the big groups. So Tom was on the controls, and Aretha was backed by the Muscle Shoals Rhythm Section, which normally works out of uh, Muscle Shoals in Alabama. But there were some problems with recording anyhow. They decided to finish this up in New York City, so they all went up to New York City and had themselves a good time and did the recording there. These guys are affectionately known, by the way, as the Swampers. There's another documentary about Muscle Shoals, and I can't remember the name of it, but it might just be Muscle Shoals. But I, if you like this music from this era, go, go look at that, too. <laughs> so they're in the studio in New York City, and Aretha is working with the Swampers, and she tells them how she wants them to perform the arrangement that she usually uses when she's out on the road, and it's called a stop-and-stutter syncopation. And while she was in the studio, she worked out new parts for the backing singers right there on, on the spot. And she played the piano for the number, which apparently was not uncommon. I didn't know that. Well, Aretha, you did a good job putting this together and recording it. So thank you very much. And you have my respect. Born on this day in 1859 in Galesburg, Illinois, American engineer and inventor George Washington Gale Ferris Jr., who invented the, guess what? Yes, the eponymous Ferris wheel. It's named for him. Georgie was a graduate of RPI, the Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute in Troy, New York. Graduated in the class of 1881. He had a degree in civil engineering and he began his engineering career in the railroad industry, building bridges. Ten years later, 1891, the directors of the World's Columbian Ex Expo... <laughs> Let's try this right, Rich. World's Columbian Exposition. Those guys, they issued a challenge to American engineers to come up with a monument for this fair, this exposition. Why do I have trouble with that word, exposition? Anyhow, they wanted a monument that would be better than the Eiffel Tower. The Eiffel Tower was built in Paris for the Paris International Exposition just two years earlier. And the planters wanted something, quote, original, daring, and unique, unquote. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Georgie went to them with a proposal for a giant wheel from which visitors would be able to view the entire exhibition. It would carry them so high in the air that they could look out over the vast expanse and take in the sight for themselves. But the planners thought he was nuts and that this crazy rotating wheel could not possibly be safe, and they thought everybody was going to die. But George persevered. He arranged for several, I don't know how many that is, just several respectable endorsements from other established engineers in the area. This was Chicago, by the way. And probably more important, 
he had lined up several local investors to cover the cost of construction, which was $400,000. So, all things considered, the committee gave it the thumbs up, the green light, and it was built. The wheel carried 38,000 passengers every day. Each trip was two full revolutions of the wheel and took 20 minutes. The wheel was demolished in 1906, but by then it had carried two and a half million passengers. Georgie died in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania of typhoid fever in 1896. He was just 37 years old. Happy birthday, George. I'll always think of you every time I see that familiar shape of the Ferris wheel. Before we end, I leave you with this thought from Aretha Franklin. My upbringing was in the church. We had to attend regularly, and of course the church provided a training ground for me, so to speak, as a young vocalist, and certainly gave me all of the spiritual values that I needed as a young lady. Yeah, music and the church, they, uh, they go hand in hand, and they have for a long time, and that's still alive today, big part of my life. I've been kind of away from it during this COVID stuff, but the COVID stuff in Georgia is dying down quickly. And I'm looking forward to being more involved real, real soon. That's a wrap. Let's stick a fork in it because it's done. I'm Rich Grimshaw, and you are invited to join me again tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.